can you can brew some up for us all. If you got your Bibles with you, let's check out Isaiah chapter 60 coming up uh, tonight, hopefully this evening on another uh, incredible scripture in the book of Isaiah. As we go through now, Isaiah's focused his attention on the coming conqueror, the Jesus return and his uh, setting up of his kingdom, setting up of his kingdom. And as we take a look uh, just by way of reminder, in chapter 59, verse 9, I want you to kind of have a picture of the, of the darkness before we look at the light. It says, Therefore, no, justice is far from us, nor does righteousness overtake us. We look for light, but there's darkness. For brightness, but we walk in blackness. We grope for the wall like the blind. We grope as if we had no eyes. We stumble in noonday as at twilight. We are as dead men in desolate places. See, that's where God's people were at. But God had given a promise way back at the beginning that a light would dawn. In chapter 60, we see that happening. He begins with, Arise and shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Celebrating that day, that day, not not just the incarnation of Jesus Christ, which it, it, it kind of pictures, but but further than that, when Jesus returns, the the Bible tells that the world's going to be in a darker time than it has ever known before. And Jesus Christ returns, Revelation chapter nineteen, when He comes, it says every eye will see Him, and He'll be coming, and as He comes. He'll be coming with his church with him. The bride of Christ will be beside him. He'll be riding that white horse. And it says all the enemies of of the Lord are going to point their weapons. They were at one time pointed at Israel and then at each other. Now they're all going to be pointed at him. And Jesus called to his people, not to the earth dwellers, as Revelation calls them. That's those whose hope is in the world. He says, arise and shine for your light has come. It will not always be dark. You ever been trapped up in something, something going on, some trial or struggle, and you start to feel like, as time drags on, that the light's never going to dawn, that I'm never coming out of this. But the reality is what God's word says is true. The light will dawn. A light will dawn, and he wants us as them. Look for that light. Live every day expecting that light. There's not a one of us in this room. If we said, if you knew tomorrow Jesus was returning, how would you live that day? If it is not exactly how you're already living the day, then you're out of balance. I'm out of balance. He calls me to live every day looking with expectancy for him. Because then when I see him, I'm not going to be surprised, right? I'm not going to be disappointed. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be in a place where I think, oh, if only. And the Lord would look at me and say, well, Jackie, I told you. Live every day that way. Looking for me. And don't forget that God has exalted his word above all his name. That means God keeps the promises that he gives. 
His call to them, Arise, shine, the light has come, the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people, but the Lord will arise over you, and His glory will be seen upon you. Now as Isaiah is talking to the children of Israel, or the nation of Israel, in Amos chapter 8 verse 11, Amos says that there's going to be a famine that comes on the land. In those, in those days there will be a famine, but not a famine of bread. A famine of the word of God. After Malachi was finished, the prophets fell silent. 400 years, God didn't speak. Darkness was on the people, but a light has dawned. Jesus Christ has come. He's come to set things right, to make things right. And he says, while there was darkness, listen, in verse 3, the Gentiles shall come to your light. Now again, Isaiah is looking at that fulfillment of the kingdom because when Jesus sets up his kingdom, all the world's going to come to him. All the world is going to find him. All the world is going to want to come to where he is at. Gentiles shall come to your light and the kings to the brightness of your rising. They're all going to come in that time of the kingdom when Jesus rules and reigns on earth. Everyone's going to want to come to Zion. They're going to worship at Zion. They're going to want to be in his presence. He says in verse 4, So lift up your eyes all around and see, for they all gather together. They come to you. All your sons will come from afar and your daughters shall be nursed at your side and you shall see and become radiant and your heart will swell with joy. That, that word for radiant literally means that there's a light like within them and they become uh, uh, almost radioactive, glowing with this incredible joy that they're going to experience because you have to remember where they're at right now. The time of Isaiah, they're facing conquest. Future doesn't look so bright. Everything seems to be upside down. And Isaiah says, oh, but listen, there's a light coming. There's a light coming. When we experience the truth of the joy, our joy being in the Lord and not in our circumstances, we will be able to say and live that day like that. Arise and shine. Arise and shine. Why? Because my joy is in Him. It's not in what I have. It's not in what I don't have. It's not in what I'm experiencing or how life's going. Where's my joy? My joy is in the Lord. When my joy is placed in Him, nothing else matters. He becomes our all in all. The end of, of, of all things wrapped up in Jesus Christ. That's what we want. That's what we desire that relationship, that touch of him. And so this is what he's promising to Israel. He's saying, listen, guys, it's bad now, and bad times are coming, but a light is going to dawn. In the lives of the ones who received this word, they never saw it. Does that mean they could never experience joy? Well, if joy is in the circumstance, I guess that's what it means. But because their joy is in the Lord, he says, man, one day, one day when you see the fulfillment of God's word 
being accomplished, you're not even going to be able to stop the light within you that's going to blossom forth. He says at the, uh, the next part of verse 5, because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you and the wealth of the Gentiles will come to you. Now, one of the in- incredible things as we study the word of God is, is understanding that God's word, it has this, this concept within it, this idea of constancy that, uh, that means that when uh, uh, a picture, when God paints a picture, he uses that same meaning throughout the scripture, all the way across the board. When the Lord talks about the seas, talking about all those nations who at one time were in opposition to God. You read about it in the book of Revelation. You see the, the, the beast rising up where? Out of the sea, out of the group of nations all in opposition to God. Throughout scriptures, that picture, that picture is defined for us in the Old Testament, understood for us in the New. He says, but the day is coming when, listen, the, the seas are going to be turned to you. All those who at one time were in opposition to God and his kingdom are all going to come to him. They're all going to come to his glory and be and experience the beauty of, of the Lord and the wealth of the Gentiles, that right now, who holds them under their thumb, who holds them under their thumb, that's not going to be that way forever. One day, one day they'll all come together. The multitude of camels shall cover your land. <laughs> The dromedaries of Midian and Ephah. Just in case you're wondering what that means, ask Kay. She actually knew. It's mind-boggling to me. A dromedary is a one-hump camel. I don't know. I said a one-hump. I don't know if one-hump means she or he. You know, that hump on her back? Some of them have two. Bloop, bloop. Some of them have one. Bloop. Dromedary apparently just has one. He's there for, for, for carrying or hauling things. But here's, here's what God's saying. Listen, the multitude of camels will cover your land. The dromedaries of Midian and Ephon and those from Sheba shall come. Listen, he's talking about, I don't want you to miss this, the kings of the east. Now, when you think about that, I want you to also look at the gifts that they bring. Because there's one gift missing. From the last time the kings of the east came and brought gifts in Israel. Here's what he says. He says, they shall bring gold and incense and proclaim the praises of the Lord. Well, last time the kings of the east came, the the wise men traveling from afar, what did they bring? Gold, frankincense or incense, and myrrh. What was myrrh for? Myrrh is that, is that ointment with which you anoint the dead. It was a strange gift to give a child, but not a strange gift to give a child who had come to die. But now in the kingdom, they only bring gold and incense. Because Jesus only died once, and he won't ever die again. It is finished no more myrrh in their gifts now just gold and incense gold the gift for a king incense a gift for a priest they're going to bring those gifts to him gold and incense no myrrh and proclaim the praise of the lord those who had once been god's enemies the enemies of the children of israel now are going to come and experience the presence of god in the kingdom of jesus christ 
All the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered together for you. The rams of Neboeth shall minister to you. They shall ascend with acceptance on my altar. And I will glorify the house of my glory. So they're going to bring gifts to the Lord and he's going to accept it. They're going to be able to come into his presence and and bring those gifts. Uh, Up until this time, if they wanted to give something to the Lord, it had to pass through the hands of a priest. But there's no need for mediation after Christ. He has become our mediator. That bridge between God and man. He fulfilled that role and has taken that role of high priest. Now, in the kingdom of Jesus Christ, they'll just be able to bring their gifts. Right to the altar, right? And the Lord will accept those gifts. In verse 8, he says, So who are these who fly like a cloud, like doves to their roosts? For surely the coastland shall wait for me, and the ships of Tarshish, well, they'll come first, to bring your sons from afar, their silver and their gold with them, to name the Lord your God and to the Holy One of Israel, Because he has glorified you. We've seen those who are going to travel by land. Now he's saying they're also going to travel by ship. And a lot of commentators, a lot of those uh, scholars who study the word of God, point to Tarshish as Britain, as that area of the world. That's not without uh, argument, but it does seem over and over again to come up. Tarshish pointing to Britain, that the ships are going to come, that they're going to bring silver, and they're going to bring gold, and they're going to want to honor the Lord. Think about how it feels to be in Israel right now. Everyone hates you. How hopeful is that scripture? When God says, one day they're all going to come to you. They're all going to want to know God because they're going to see God in you. And I'm going to be set up in your midst. Especially for those in Israel who haven't cast aside their faith. Less than 10% of Israel are practicing Jews. That's a lot of people who are just there to be there. The idea here the Lord says is, hey guys, it's not all going to be wasted. It's not all going to be hard. There is a promise coming. There is a promise coming of his son. There's a promise coming of his kingdom. And by the way, it's a literal kingdom. The Lord doesn't say it, and he'll come and set up something like a kingdom. He says a kingdom for a thousand years, not something like a thousand years, but for a thousand years. The millennial reign of Christ at his return as he sets that up. He goes on and says, now, the sons of foreigners shall build up your walls, and their kings shall minister to you. Kind of blows me away because Israel, within the... The midst of Israel is a city called Jerusalem, which means a city of peace, which has never known peace in its existence. Constant wars in the city of peace, in God's land, the land that God says I own. That's why I gave it to them, because it's mine to give. And the Lord says, in this day, at this time, all the nations, they're going to come to you, and they're going to rebuild. You go to Israel today, you know what you see in every wall? Of every town, every city you walk in, bullet holes. You walk into the to the gates in old Jerusalem, and you'll look up at those gates and you'll say, Man, what are all them holes? Bullet holes. Bullet holes in the city of peace. There's just something wrong with that, isn't there? But the Lord says, Listen, the time will come when 
when foreigners are going to come and they're going to fix it. They're going to repair the fallen walls. They're going to lift all those things up. And their kings will minister to you. And then listen, I don't want you to miss this. Why? For in my wrath I struck you, but in my favor I had mercy on you. What's the point? See, these kings, these people are going to come. Why? Because where there was divine wrath, there is now divine compassion. What is it that leads men to God? The scriptures declare it's the goodness of God that brings men to repentance. It's the goodness of God. God says, I had in my wrath, but then I turned from my wrath and had mercy. Isn't that what he's done for every one of us? Bestowing upon us grace, it's what makes us love him. It's what's going to make the nations love him as well. Want to come and minister. Want to come and, and minister to the, to the children of Israel there in Jerusalem and to those that are in that place. Verse 11, he says, now this is what it's going to be like in the kingdom. Therefore, your gates will be open continually. They shall not be shut day or night. That means there's going to be incredible security. It's as though the Lord's saying for you and I, you can stay with your doors open all the time. You don't have to lock anything. No worry about bad guys coming. The Bible says when Jesus rules and reigns, he will rule with a rod of iron. That doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to crack that rod of iron on somebody's skull. It just means there's not going to be none of that. There's not going to be nobody doing any of those things. For the first time, man is going to experience a utopia. Perfect existence. Jesus Christ is king. Nobody robbing, nobody stealing. Nobody's going to be racked with disease. The Bible says if someone died at 100 years old, they'll say a baby died. The Bible seems to indicate that, that life will go back to how it was before the flood. Man will have Many, many years. Perhaps some scholars say they'll live the entire time. Man is going to discover for the first time in his life he is not a product of his environment. Because after that thousand years of perfect peace, the gates won't need to be shut. Everything's going to be perfect. But God's going to lose Satan for one season. And he's going to raise an army in rebellion against the Lord that the Bible says cannot be counted. Man's not a product of his environment. He's a product of sin. Sin is in man's life and sin's desire. Remember what the Lord said to Cain when Cain was unhappy at the sacrifice? He saw Abel's had been received and his wasn't. And the Lord said, Cain, sin is at the door. And its desire is to rule over you. But God said to Cain, you should rule over it. You got a choice, Cain. Make the right choice. We know how that worked out for Cain. In the kingdom age, there's going to be this incredible falling out of people that will rebel against Christ's rule. And the Bible says they're going to bring this army and the army's going to surround Jerusalem. You and I will be there. The Bible says where Jesus is, we'll be with him forever. 
We'll be in that place. Oh, we won't be like we are today. We won't be struggling with sin. We'll be as he is. The Bible says in 1 John 3, 3, we'll be like he is. When we see him, we'll be like him. Our battle with sin will be over. We will reach that place of, of perfection, and God will have a role, a job for us. We'll be there. But the Bible says we don't ever have to lift an arm. There will be no fight. The rebellion will come. Their choice will be made. And suddenly they find themselves waiting in a long line before a great white throne. And all those who lived the thousand years of perfect peace will have no more of an excuse than anybody else did. When the Lord says, what did you do with my son? You either received him and allow him to rule or you rejected him and ruled for yourself. We receive him, we receive the robe of righteousness. If we reject him, well, then you will stand at the great white throne. Here the Lord is celebrating with his people that thing that they've been looking forward to. You ask a Jew what he desires more than anything else, and he will tell you, peace. When the king comes, the true return of the king, he is going to bring peace. It says in verse 12, For the nation and kingdom which shall not serve you will perish, and those nations shall be utterly ruined. The, the separation of the sheep and the goats. At the end of the tribulation period, we have a period of time called the judgment. The, the Matthew chapter 25 deals with it. Jesus tells us. Remember the scripture? Jesus said, When you did it for the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me, so they enter into the kingdom. Those who didn't do it unto the least of these, his brethren, they don't enter into the kingdom. Those nations who will serve, those nations who will follow, they come. Those who don't are held in reservation waiting the great white throne. Their choice was made. But coming into the kingdom, there will be those who will be given that choice. He says in verse 13, the glory of Lebanon will come to you. The cypress, the pine, the box tree together to beautify the place of my sanctuary. And I will make the place of my feet glorious. It reminds us of the building of Solomon's temple. Because one of the things that Jesus is going to do during that period of time is build the temple, the millennium temple, spoken of in Ezekiel chapter 40. He's going to build this temple and he's going to build it like that, that like it was in, in the days of its glory. And the sons of those who afflicted you shall come bowing to you. And all those who despise you will fall prostrate at the soles of your feet. And they will call you the city of the Lord, Zion, of the Holy One of Israel. All the people, you want to you pick the most persecuted people group on the face of the earth, it is the Jew. Bar none. The Lord says, one day the sons of all those who persecuted you will bow down to you. And they will come to this city not for war, but to worship the Lord. Laying out for his people the hope of the promise of God's word will be true. Whereas you have been forsaken and hated, so that no one went through you, I will make you an eternal excellence, a joy of many generations. You will drink the milk of the Gentiles, the milk from the breast of kings. You will know that I, the Lord, am your Savior, and your Redeemer, 
the mighty one of Jacob. I love it that God is not afraid to call himself by Jacob's name, by the way. You think maybe he'd say the mighty one of Abraham or the mighty one of Isaac. But, but Jacob had problems. Like we talked about this morning, God's not ashamed to use our name to define him. I'm the God of Jackie. He's not afraid to be known as the God of Jacob, the Redeemer, the Mighty One. Instead of bronze, I'll bring gold. Instead of iron, silver. Instead of wood, bronze. Instead of stones, iron. For I will also make your officers peace and your magistrates righteousness. The Lord says at that time, politicians will tell the truth. Truly, it's a miracle. Yeah. Hey, listen, he's, we, we look at him and we think, oh, he's going he's gonna to exchange bronze for gold and iron for silver. And he's, how's he going to do all that? More importantly, how's he going to make a magistrate righteous? But that's what he's going to do. There's going to be this righteousness poured out on the people. Things that at one time had no value are going to have greater value. With the touch of the master's hand, all that changes. All that changes. And he wants his people with hope to look for his coming, to look for his return. Violence will no longer be heard in your land, neither wasting nor destruction within your borders. But you shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. Somebody tell me last time you turned on the news and Israel wasn't on it. And what wasn't on wasn't someone shooting at someone else. It's constant war there. Constant war. Well, what's the Lord lay out? These days they'll call your walls salvation and your gates praise. What are they known for now? It's interesting. You know, Israel, since they've come back in, in, into being a nation in 1948, do you know that there have been numerous sanctions by the UN against Israel and not one sanction against any of the terrorists? They sanction Israel... All the time. But never do they stand up and say, we're going to bring a sanction against one of the terrorists. For crying out loud, they gave the Nobel Peace Prize to Arafat. You know, the same guy who slaughtered people on planes and was involved in the hijackings. But he's a peace prize? Yeah, that's the most peaceful man I know. But then they'll give the peace prize to anybody, right? Yeah. You don't even have to do anything anymore. Just be another pretty face. I figure I got a shot. You don't think so? <laughs> oh, the word goes on and tells us the sun will no longer be your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give light to you. But the Lord will be to you an everlasting light. And your God, your glory. Revelation 21, 23. There will be no sun there, nor moon, for the Lord will be your light. Scripture says in Isaiah, it's everlasting light. So often now our, our lives are ruled by days and nights, aren't they? It's always been that way. In that day, when the Lord rules and reigns, when... When we see ourselves in eternity with him, there will never be darkness again. Always light. 
And before you get depressed, don't worry, we don't need to sleep. We won't be tired. Think of all the time we waste in our life sleeping. Eight hours every day. Oh, some only get a couple. But eight hours. Man, what could you do with all that? I could learn to surf. You don't think there's no surfing in heaven? No sea, but it didn't say nothing about waves. Don't limit your mind. Who knows? All I know is the word says what? Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the hearts of men. The things God has planned for those who love him. And that's, I don't know what it's going to be like, but it's going to be incredible. And we're going to have eternity. No night, no darkness. The Lord will be our light. And your sun shall no longer go down. Nor shall your moon withdraw itself, for the Lord will be your everlasting light, and the days of your mourning shall be ended. No more tears. Anybody happy to see that day come? No more sorrow. No more heartbreak. No more saying goodbye to people. It's just all going to be happy. The tears will be wiped away. Also your people shall all be righteous. Did you hear that? Also, your people shall all be righteous. What an incredible place to be. Everyone covered in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's the only way to be righteous. All your people will be righteous. They shall inherit the land forever. That promised land that God promised to them, they're going to have it. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. A new Jerusalem. The new Jerusalem that comes down out of heaven is going is to hover over the earth. It's roughly the size of the moon. It's going to have 12 stories, 12 foundations, 12 gates. Those gates made each one out of one pearl. Mathematician did a measurement and decided now if I took something roughly the size of the moon and rather than just living on the surface, we realize that in the new Jerusalem, you can live on the surface, inside, all the way through the middle. It's just one giant big city floating in the air. The mathematician said, well, what if I gave every person one square mile? How many people would fit? Everybody. That's what he said. Everybody could fit. When the Lord designed the new Jerusalem, he made enough room for everyone. And then he said, whosoever will can come. Whosoever will. Some will still reject the the invitation, right? But isn't it great to know there's enough room in heaven, enough room in the new Jerusalem for everyone? And you got a little elbow room. Square mile. Some of you guys, that may not seem so big. To me, from California, brother, let me tell you that. Huge! That's a lot of room. In a square mile, you could have 300 neighbors in California. You wouldn't even know them all. Here, you can know them all. And you're still going to have the room. You're still going to have that elbow room. The Lord lays out for us that plan. The branch of my planning, the work of my hands, that I may be glorified. A little one shall become a thousand. And a small one, a strong nation. I, the Lord, 
will hasten, will hasten it in its time. I like that verse. I, the Lord, will hasten it. I often like that part and I forget the other part. He says, I'll hasten it in its time. God's never late. He's never early. He's always right on time. And we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is doing this incredible work. And he says, I'm going to hasten it. I'm going to make all this happen. But it's happening according to schedule. So, the nation of Israel is faced with a choice. We'll trust the Lord. We'll trust the Lord. It's going to happen. We'll trust the Lord. It'll come to pass. We'll trust the Lord. One day, we'll see its fulfillment. Chapter 61 begins, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Wait a minute, that sounds familiar. Kind of sounds New Testament-ish, doesn't it? Well, that's because these are the words that Jesus spoke. While you're holding your finger here, flip with me over to Luke. Luke chapter 4, about verse 16. And we'll take a look at what Jesus said as he uh, shares this scripture. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he said to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Takes us 2,000 years later to mess that up. Because in Isaiah chapter 61, it's a prophecy of the anointing that would be upon the Son of God, the Messiah who was to come into the world. In that synagogue in Nazareth, Jesus stood up and said, I am the Messiah, the promised one of Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor, He sent me to heal the broken and hearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. He lays out for us that he has come to heal the damage that sin causes. And we all know he stopped in the middle of a verse. What gives him a right to do that? He is the word of God. So that's what gives him the right. And that comma hasn't happened yet. What happens when we come to a comma? We pause. That pause has been 2,000 years. Does that mean that pause will not come? Listen, it will happen. For that second part of verse 2 says, In the day of vengeance of our God. 
You want to read about it? It's in Revelation chapter 6 through 19. The day of vengeance of our God. The outpouring of the wrath of God on a Christ-rejecting world. It'll come. Right now we find ourselves in the time of the church, in the time of the Messiah, what the Mashiach Nagid has done for us, Messiah the King. He's paved the way. Whosoever will can come. The gate is open. The door is, is, is left wide so that all who are willing to receive Jesus Christ as their personal Savior can enter in. All who are willing to come and accept Him, to put their faith and trust in Him. For He came to heal the damage of sin. Look at it. To preach good tidings to the poor. What does sin do? It breaks. It breaks our hearts. So He came to heal. It puts us in bondage. So He came to set the captives free. It locks us up in prison. So He's come to... to, uh, open the doors and let those who are in bondage go and to proclaim the acceptable year of the lord today is a day of salvation right now no reason to wait till tomorrow today is a day the second half of verse two is going to come he he also expounds on the concept and says to comfort all who mourn To console those who mourn in Zion and give them beauty for ashes. That's on Kathy and my wedding ring. Used to be on our wedding rings, but there's only one of them. I'd love to say Kathy lost her, but that's not how it works. To give them beauty for ashes. Literally, it means that God's going to place a crown on your head rather than you pouring ashes on your head. You remember the picture when the children of Israel would mourn? They would put themselves in sackcloth and ashes. They would basically wear this sackcloth, this old, you know, uh, uh, bag with holes cut in it, in essence, and lay down in ashes. And they would pick up ashes and just pour it on their head, weeping, crying over over whatever had taken place. And the Lord says, I'm going to come and put a crown on your head. No ashes. No ashes. The oil of joy for those who mourn. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Why? That they may be called trees of righteousness. Strong, beautiful, useful. The planning of the Lord that He may be glorified. This is a work that God does in the life of those who put their faith and trust in the Messiah. In Jesus Christ. In His fulfillment. And they shall rebuild the old ruins. Do you know that God loves to build up old ruins? There are some old ruins here. God loves to build up the old ruins. He loves to to lift them up, make something of them. They shall raise up the former desolations and repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. Strangers will stand and feed your flocks. And the sons of the foreigner shall be your plowman and your vine dresser, but you shall be named the priests of God. And they shall call you the servants of our God. You will eat the riches of the Gentiles, and in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double honor. Instead of confusion, they shall rejoice in their portion. 
Therefore, in their land, they will possess double, and everlasting joy will be theirs. How do we find everlasting joy? Everlasting joy is in the Lord. It's in Him. Not in our circumstances. It's in Him. Faith, hope, trust, everything laid at His feet. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery for burnt offerings. Remember, the burnt offering was an offering of consecration. Laying yourself out before the Lord. He says, listen, I love justice and I hate robbery. I hate people who come and tell me that, that I am their God and that they are mine, but they don't mean it. They don't give me. They haven't surrendered themselves to me. It's robbery, God says. They don't keep their vow. They vow and say, I am theirs. They are mine. They walk away and forget. The Lord says, I hate robbery for burnt offerings. I will direct their work in truth and will make them an everlasting covenant, an everlasting promise. Their descendants shall be known among the Gentiles, their offspring among the people. All who see them will acknowledge them. That they, that they are the posterity whom the Lord has blessed. See, and all the people who follow the Lord, everybody's going to know them. We talked about today that there's a private ceremony in adoption and a public ceremony. The private ceremony was wrought when Jesus Christ paid the purchase price for you and I. The public ceremony is yet to come when the Lord God proclaims us as His. He says, everybody's going to know their mind. Nobody's going to wonder. Nobody's going to think, well, who are these guys? Everyone, he says, will know. The Gentiles, the nations, everyone is going to know. And I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. Where's that joy come from again? In the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. Why? Because he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. What is the work that Jesus Christ did? He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. What did he clothe us with? Salvation and righteousness. He puts that. Just like he put on clothes, the Lord God has placed that on us. Who did it? Did we do it? Did we do it for ourselves? It says, he has clothed me with garments. He has covered me with the robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments or a bride adorns herself with jewels. For as the earth brings forth its bud and the garden causes things that are sown in it to spring forth, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all the nations. As he looks to the fulfillment of the coming of the Messiah and, and the anointing that would be upon him, he also says, listen, this anointing is come and there's going to be a period of grace we see in Luke chapter 4. But then we know that door is going to close and the wrath of God is going to be poured out and that's going to usher in a kingdom, a kingdom of the Lord God Almighty. He's going to rule and reign. And from that kingdom, the Lord says, I'm going to cause righteousness to spring up and praise to spring up leading to the culmination of all things. Jesus Christ, at one point, is going to take all the saved, the end of the, of, the, of the millennial kingdom, the end of the great right throne judgment, all that stuff's done. 
Jesus Christ is going to come and lay down before God's feet the redeemed. Here they are from the, from the whole earth, from all of time. All those who chose you. He's going to lay them at the Father's feet for his glory. And there will be a new heaven, a new earth. We all live happily ever after. Amen? I look forward to those days. We're going to spend some time now just 